Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. Well, number 50 of the 50 most relevant is well and truly in the past. We are moving forward. Number 49 today and a fascinating player to discuss. Callum Mills is one of the big performers of 2021, but can he back it up in 2022? That is the question we're going to be discussing as he is at number 49 of my 50 most relevant. Joining me on this episode, you may know him as one part of the pod, pod, podcast. There's a lot of pods in there. He's a regular part of the coaches panel that you'll get to know and love in 2022, though. I'm talking about Louis. Hello, mate. How are you? Hey, MJ. How you going, mate? It's been a little while since I've been on the coaches panel, but I'm glad to be joining you. And uh, seems like there hasn't been much of a break and we're already starting to talk about the 2022 fantasy season. So I'm keen to get started. Mate, we're keen to have you as part of the coaches panel in 2022, but also keen to have you on this episode too. As I mentioned right at the top, talking about Callum Mills, he's still incredibly just 24 years of age. He is a midfielder only after holding that defensive eligibility for the better part of the entirety of his AFL career. Yep, if you really want him, He's a mid only this year. And last year, we got some monster scores out of him. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, it was a 152 against the Bombers. That's also a career-high score in that format, while it was a 154 versus the Lions in Supercoach, his top 2021 score. However, it's not his best ever Supercoach score. It's a 173 against the Tigers all the way back in 2020. Last year, he was one of the best defensive premiums we could get. Average of 110 in Dream Team and Fantasy, 112 in Supercoach, and he's going to cost you a ton of cash if you want to own him this coming season. Just over $612,000 in Supercoach. And then in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, the prices sound bigger, but the salary cap is bigger in those formats to boot. $922,000 in AFL Fantasy and just a touch under nine hundred and fourteen. $50,000 in Dream Team. And Louis, if we cast our mind back all the way to February in 2021, it, it feels obvious now to say it, but John Longmire was really bullish about, I'm going to play Callum Mills in the midfield. That's what he was like as an elite junior. We're moving him off the defensive line. All the signs were there that the role, the opportunity, and the platform of what he developed as a kid coming into the AFL system and now in that midfield role were there. But so many people were really hesitant to trust the midfield move of Callum Mills early in the year. And if you did it, oh, in your starting squad, boy, were you rewarded. Oh, absolutely, MJ. And you know what? Horse Longmuir is actually partly to blame too, because I think for about two to three years before that, we kept hearing Mills is going to the midfield, Mills is going to the midfield. All the shrewd fantasy coaches knew what he was like as a junior, knew what he was able to do off the halfback flank, but they were just skeptical on whether or not he would keep the midfield role yeah. rather in February be in the midfield role full stop. But just that consistency going out through the 2021 season, whether or not that would continue, especially with, you know, for example, a Dane Rampy injury, does he yeah. immediately get thrown back? But alas, 2021, he was pretty much in the midfield the whole time. And gee, he impressed an average of 110 so is just seriously impressive. Yeah, 110 in AFL Fantasy, 112 in Supercoach. We'll drill into those numbers in a second. And, and you're right, he elevated his game 
in every sense of the word. His possession tally ballooned up to 27.5 per game. Um, defensively, it also ballooned up as he was around the ball a little bit more. He moved from 3.3 to 5.3 tackles per game, which is a really, really strong number through there. By averages uh, across the entirety of the AFL, ranked 17th for effective disposals per game, 20th for total disposals and tackles per game. And like you said, that also translated into him being a premium performer for us, playing midfield, but defensive eligible. In AFL fantasy, he scored 13 tons from his 18 matches. Of those 13 tons, he showed a reasonable ability to translate them into solid scores too, with 11 of these 13 tons being 110 or above with his three top scores of the year, a 152, a 142, and a 133. Over the season, just the two scores under 90 all year in Dream Team and Fantasy. One was in round two, it was an 85. The other was an injury-affected 78, and that was early in the third term. He was on track for another 120 performance. In, in terms of ranking him by averages against other midfielders in Dream Team and Fantasy, he's higher than Clayton Oliver. He's higher than Sam Walsh. He's above Marcus Bontempelli and above the other breakout candidate that really ballooned last year for us in Darcy Parish. While in Supercoach, he had arguably an even stronger year. 112 was his seasonal average. He's ranked 14th best midfielder in the game right now in Supercoach. But last year, he posted 14 scores of 100 or more, seven of those over 120, including that seasonal high 154. And a real highlight for owners would have been his stretch of 11 consecutive tons from around six to 17, where he went in an average of 116. Louis, if you picked him it, for the pretty much the vast majority of the year, Mills was one of your standout players. Oh, absolutely, MJ. And you touched on it. His ceiling probably wasn't that high, high type of midfield player. But yeah, what was quite remarkable, remarkable was his consistency. So uh, only the four scores over 120, but just reiterating what you said, to go 11 times over 110 throughout a season and only play about, what, 17 games with yeah. maybe three of those, four of those were affected by the COVID protocol. Yes. That's just a staple of how good of a player he is and why we're talking about him in the 50 most relevant for 2022 season because he could be somebody who just continues going along at that 110 average quite easily in that Sydney midfield next year. Yeah, I think it's a really good shout. And this wasn't just the out-of-the-box year. There were there were signs in 2022, albeit the adjusted average year for AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. But in Supercoach that year, he averaged over 100, including eight tons, and that career-high 173. While in AFL Fantasy, you look at a, an average of 74, and you're like, nah, that's not great. But again, 80 was the 100 of 2020. So if you want to play that adjusted averages game, which we don't want to go back to doing, that's a, that's a 92. Um, and so he's shown even off the halfback, he, he can really get it done. He scores in every category um, and he's not dependent on, well, if he doesn't get 30 possessions, well, he's not going to get it there because only in eight games last year did he have 30 possessions or more. So that consistency of how he builds his scoring columns is really, really phenomenal. And, and you touched on this really interesting point, Lou, as we start to consider, all right, well, we know what he did last year as a defender. He's now going to be ranked amongst the midfielders where he's top 10 to 15 across the formats. I don't know if his basement could have got any better than what he did last year. Like beyond an injury affected game and one or two others, he's missed a 95 to 115 every single week. But that point around ceiling 
is a fascinating point for me because the basement, he can't grow that basement really any further than he's done. I, I think we've got those basement scores are as high as they get. Uh, take the injury impacted games out and his lowest score in DT and AF, 85. His lowest in Supercoach is 84. So you so see the basement's not getting any better. Can he elevate that ceiling? Because that's really what he needs to do for us to have confidence to pick him in our starting squads. I think he can, MJ, because looking back on 2021, something that he did do, as you mentioned, was he tackled and he tackled a lot. But yeah. something that translated from his 2020 season and the seasons previous in that halfback role was he was still taking lots and lots of marks. So quite yeah. often you would see six, seven, eight, sometimes even 11 marks for Callum Mills in just the one game, which is quite often when he would get that high ceiling game. But for him to really be able to push consistently over 120, I think he just needs to figure out how to find a bit more of the football. And that's what we're going to be speaking about in next year's fantasy, because how that midfield works at the Sydney Swans is going to be a massive key to unlocking that. Yeah, I'm so fascinated about what this Sydney midfield looks like um, moving into 2022 and beyond. They, they managed to retain Dylan Stevens. They lost Jordan Dawson, who's probably more wing to half back relevant for them. But JPK has got maybe another 12 months left in him. They're starting to become less dependent and reliant on Luke Parker. But what that mix looks like is really intriguing. I think Mills is the lock and the guy they're going to build around, but what role does Heaney play? Does McInerney start to flow through there? Is it Rowbottom? How does that development of Warner and Stevens click through? Uh, I think that's almost one of the little hesitancies for me is how much are they prepared to lean on the future kids and how much are they prepared to lean on the old guard? And what does that mean for Mills? Maybe it's speculating yourself out of a pick, but you bring up that fascinating point is how does that midfield work? Because that could almost be the determining factor for people of whether or not they start or upgrade Callum Mills. Yeah, and I think there could easily be a little bit of a shuffle in that midfield mix in that Mills was predominantly a bit of a defensive midfielder in 2021. Mm. Does that role then get, you know, handballed over to a Parker or a JPK? Um, I would suggest JPK would be a fantastic candidate because he's going to be in the midfield regardless until mm. he gets sort of put out to pasture. So um, I think that Mills should be that main guy that should be, I mean, his ball use is just phenomenal. So yeah. he should be out there. Uh, delivering it inside 50 and the young guy should be learning off of him and as well as having cameos from Parker and Heaney and you know Florent guys that have been in that midfield before yeah I think it, it's really interesting I know some might be a little concerned by the Achilles injuries and that that started to battle on and build through the year but but at time of recording um, and certainly in the front half of the preseason, there's been no hesitation from the Swans that that's a ongoing concern. It might be enough to bring some hesitancy for coaches, but but in reality, if you got burnt by it towards the back end of the year, that's frustrating, absolutely. But there's nothing in the preseason or over the history of his career to last year's point to go, he's injury prone or, or someone that you need to be concerned about. Because if you look at the games played beyond last year, um, it's pretty strong. 15 games in 2020 and 22 games in 2019. There's certainly an injury impacted year all the way back in 2018. But over the past three seasons, you probably can't say injury history is starting to, to build up. What, what does fascinate me about 
mills uh, i'm keen on your take on this louis before we talk about whether or not people start or upgrade to him is he will be unique this year because he's lost defensive eligibility as a midfielder he'll, he'll be drastically unique and so when you go unique on a premium midfielder they have to fire now i know you could say that for any premium if they have to fire early but a guy that's likely to have single-digit ownership by the time the ball is bounced at the start of round one. If he has a slow six to eight weeks, that really can hurt you when you're paying for a guy to be a 110-plus performer. Oh, absolutely, MJ. Um, just just quickly backing over your point in yeah. that um, Mills isn't very injury-prone, I would argue, especially for that, because we know about that Achilles injury, I think after round two, yeah. you actually mentioned that, hey, he's dealing with a bit of soreness. He still went on to average 110, and then Correct. I think he banged out a 152 just the, the game before he finished up for the season. So um, absolutely, uh, he's not someone to worry about in that respect. But in terms of moving forward, going into 2022, losing his defensive status, of course, he's going to be unique. That's yeah. just how things work because you look at this player who's lost that defensive status or forward status um, any which way. Mm. And then you look at the guys priced around him that have been midfielders for years and years and years. And look, I'll use this example because they're priced around the same in 2022 sure. in AFL fantasy. Uh, talk about a Zach Merritt. MJ. He's yeah. someone who's gone 110 consistently three, four years. And then you've got Callum Mills, who's priced 3K below, who's done the 110 season in his first season in the midfield. And now you're very much taking a punt on whether that's going to continue, whether or not the coaches are going to change that midfield mix that we talked about. And it just suddenly starts to feel safer to pick these guys like a, a Zach Merritt, also a Christian Protraka, who's a very similar price. And and you feel like you're going to be less burnt by that because you're going off of more data in that role. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that, that you've brought up there in terms of these guys that have had one strong year. There's always that heart tendency to go, oh, can they do it again? And at that price point, for me, a combination of his unique ownership and his relatively low conversion across the formats of hundreds to being 120s. And that's what you need when you're banking for a guy at 110 that's done it for really one year. You need him to become a captaincy candidate. If you're investing this much capital in your starting squad, you need to be going, okay, a 110 guy, I think I could put the VC or C on him more weeks than not. And while he's a really consistent scoring option, is he someone that most weeks you look and go, I could vice-captaincy Mills into someone or I could vice-captaincy an Oliver or a Steele or a Miller or you know, any of these big performers. And then Mills is my safety net. For me, I, I don't see him as a vice-captaincy or captaincy guy most weeks. And then I contrast him, in, say, in Supercoach, you brought up AFL Fantasy against Zach Merritt. For the better part of $80,000, $70,000, I can get Lockie Neal, who's got multiple 120 super coach seasons for 70K cheaper. And, and so this, and who I think is a much safer captaincy or vice captaincy option, given the way he wins the ball, the way he uses the ball, and we know he's a proven performer. So I, I think there's going to be some value there. I think someone will, will absolutely want to jump on him for the uniqueness. But for me, I think he's an upgrade target across the formats. I don't see him as a captaincy or vice-captaincy option. Um, and for that reason, at this price point, I just can't go there in my starting squads. 
Yeah, you're spot on with the Captain Vice Captaincy stuff, MJ. When you're paying upwards of you know, 800, 900K, the, the bloke that you're selecting needs to be able to be relied on to yeah. be a vice captain or captain option. And especially, I know um, it's been changed in the COVID times, but now that you can actually stick the VC on anybody going up into until the Sunday game, yeah. it becomes even less relevant that VC. So mm. you've got a lot more options. And for that reason, I, I agree with you. I just don't think that Callum Mills is someone you can start with. I think he's someone that you can watch and maybe hope he gets off to a little bit of a slow start. Yeah. And if he's got that role, then you know that he can go back to that consistent 110 because he's he's certainly not going to burn you if you no, watch him no. for a couple of games and then you bring him in. I'd be reasonably confident that he's going to maintain that average unless he, for whatever reason, goes back because, like I said, if Rampy gets injured or something, which we didn't actually see last year. So that no, may true. be a bit of a red flag, but... No, you're, you're spot on, MJ. He's someone who just needs to be relied on to be a VCC at that price, and, and I just can't do that. Yeah, I think so too. Look, you make a great point. He's not going to burn someone. I don't see a world where he averages under 100 across the formats, but I also don't see him as a captain. And so for that reason, I'm with you. Um, I think he's an upgrade target and a very nice option. And if he has a slow start, awesome. Jump on at a bargain. If he has a hot start and you manage to be able to jag him as a captain, well done to you. I just don't see it yet. All right, before we wrap up this episode, let's talk about drafts and where he goes. I'm really intrigued, Louis, about how drafts look this year. We've got given a bunch of new big end forwards with Taranto and Mitch Duncan, just two of the bigger names that are arguably in some people's eyes, depending on the format they play on the scoring platform, those guys might be latter first round picks. And so we might not see as many big midfielders go in that first 10 to 15 selections like we used to. But for me, um, I don't think he's a first-round pick. There's no way for me he's a first-round pick. And I think because of the bulk amount of people want those big-end forwards, they'll still want a top-end ruck. He could be a, a very early third-round pick, would be the dream spot for me. He might not slide that far. But if I landed him as an M2 and, and locked in an Oliver type at M1, depending on where I'm picking, or you lock in a Whitfield or a Duncan, or depending on what you want to do with that first pick. I really like him as a super early third or a very late second. What are you kind of thinking about where he goes on draft day? No, that's exactly where I was thinking, MJ. I think just the plethora of high-end defenders, high-end forwards, plus the big rucks that you talked about, he's going to be right at the end of that second round. And then going into the third, he's going to be uh, pretty much a bargain because it will drop off fairly quickly. So I think a guy that can average 110 uh, in the third round, that's 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 a great deal. Yeah, look, he's ranked in the top 15 mids across all the formats, pushing the top 10 in Dream Team and Fantasy. Whoever gets him is going to get a really reliable performer on draft day. And so, yeah, really, really like him for the draft formats. Louis, a nice way to start the 2022 preseason with you, mate, talking about a, an incredibly relevant player for coaches to consider this coming season. No, thanks for having me, MJ. He's a very exciting player and I'm I'm keen to watch him closely in 2022 as I did in 2021. Yeah, I'm on board with that one. All right, uh, Coaches Panel friends, if you want to go and check out the article, I've dropped it online for you now, coachespanel.tv. Uh, all the other players we've revealed so far, 
okay, the one other player outside of this we've revealed so far, you can also go and check it out at coachespanel.tv. The links are there also to join our Patreon supporter group where you get access to exclusive content, hidden groups that you can get involved in conversations with the panel members. And also at certain tiers, you get these podcasts 24 hours early. They're already up to the number 48. They already know it, who it is. And so if you want to get on board on that and help support the coaches panel this preseason, all the details are at coachespanel.tv. We move on to one more player tomorrow and right throughout these uh, podcasts, we do like to leave a little bit of a sneaky uh, yeah, a little bit of a sneaky idea of who might be coming on the next day. And I'll put it this way. This guy is probably the best value pick of the 2022 season. But there's one big question mark that has pushed him real low in the 50 most relevant. He's made the list, but he's real low. Who is he? Well, both Louie and I. He's back. We'll tell you about him tomorrow.